Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We're glad to have some visitors. We wish you well on your trip. We're always happy to see new faces and returning faces, so thank you for being here. Let me start off by saying that if you're here this morning and you need something in order to stay warm or to get through the next week, we're here to help as we can. We don't have everything, but what we have, we're more than willing and happy to share. And the first step from that, before you leave, is to see Janet right here. Janet, wave the hand really nice and high. That's Janet. Janet is our helper in that regard. She's been organizing what we have. Again, it's not everything, but what we have. And so please see her to try to help keep everything organized so that we don't just have a big pile of who knows what. So please see Janet. We also have some uh, sack lunches if you need to have something to make sure you can eat uh, today or tomorrow. Please don't leave without asking for help because if we can't help, we will. If we can't help, we will. Uh, this morning, we're continuing a series we're going to do all during December, and I've titled it Promises from the Advent. The term Advent is used by many religious groups this time of year, but rarely by uh, congregations that are churches of Christ. And I think that's simply because the technical term Advent does not occur specifically in the New Testament. But the word Advent means come to. I remember enough of my Latin, why I took that in high school, I don't know. But I remember enough of that that Advent means come to. So this is certainly a biblical idea that Jesus came to the earth. There was an advent when Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a man being born as a child. So we're thinking about that today. Why today? Why this month? Well, let's see. Can you think of any reason why we might think about virtue? Okay, we all know why. There's almost certainly Jesus is not born physically in December. Let me tell you right now, if I were to place my best estimate, it's going to be April or May. Or September. When you find people who were closer to the time of Jesus' birth, writing in 150 and 200 AD, a whole lot closer to that time than we are, nobody knew. And they guessed April or May. But no one until hundreds and hundreds of years later ever suggested December. December really doesn't fit with shepherds maintaining their flocks out in the field at night. But the entire universe, it seems, is most of the broadly Christian world will think about Jesus' birth during this month. I want to suggest, think about it all the time. Yeah. Think about his death all the time. But since I can't get into an elevator without hearing the little drummer boy or something else playing in the music, it's going to come to mind. So let's focus on it since most of us are going to think about it during the week anyway. And we're studying from Luke chapter 2 where the angels appeared to the shepherds who were guarding their flocks out in the field. We started that last week by looking at the angels' message saying that they had brought good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And how this news that Jesus is born, that Jesus came to the earth, that Jesus lived and died for me, should bring about great joy. So we studied joy last week. We're continuing this week by simply moving to a ne the next phrase in Luke chapter 2. They brought good tidings of great joy because the angels continue and say, For unto you is 
born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior. So as I say here, let's look at Luke 2 again. Great news of great joy last week, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior that is Christ the Lord. And we had most of our songs, thank you Mark, most of our songs focused on the idea of a Savior and Jesus saves because that's what I want us to focus on today. A Savior is born when the angels announce the birth of Jesus. The good news of great joy that the angels talked about was the coming of Jesus, the advent, yes, if I want to use that term, and I'm going to, and that he was the Savior. He was the Savior. So let's look at that, right? God has always been the Savior, the only possible Savior. Go back from Luke 2 to Luke 1 and look at what Mary says when she visits her relative Elizabeth. Then Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my heart rejoices in God my Savior. This is turned into a song, it's called the Magnificat, again another Latin phrase, because this beautiful song or statement that Mary makes is a wonderful way where she is magnifying the Lord because he visited his handmaid, his servant. Why has Mary rejoiced in God her Savior? Why is she magnifying the Lord? Well, look at what she says next. Because she has shown conservant, uh, concern for his humble servant girl. From now on, all people, all people will say that I am blessed. We definitely should. We are all people. Mary, if you will, is prophesying that from now on, throughout the rest of generations, as long as the world goes on, people will call her blessed because out of all women who have ever lived, God chose her. God chose a girl that was probably 13 or 14. That's the age women got married in the first century. Think about ladies when you were 13 or 14. Not only are you potentially about to get married and start having children, but an angel appears to you and says, you're going to have become pregnant, you're going to have a child from the Holy Spirit. It's going to be the Son of God. Wow. Of all women who have ever lived, she certainly is to be honored above all. And we should call her blessed. God is her Savior as he is ours. God's always been the Savior. He's the only Savior. Look back in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 11. God speaking here says, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. There is no hope. There is no saving outside of God. You're not going to have a Savior found in the pages of a pop psychology book. You're not going to find it through some sort of seven steps to financial independence or whatever it may be. God is the only source of security. The only source of true peace. He's the only Savior. Always has been. Always has been the only Savior. Don't look anywhere else. Don't look anywhere else. Look at Psalm 106, verse 21. The passage here in the book of Psalms reads, They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Thinking back to God bringing the people, the children of Israel out of Egypt, he had brought them out with a mighty hand, a mighty hand, the text reads. We remember the plagues, and yes, I can't help but think, of, I always say this, Charlton Heston, 
He will forever be Moses to me. And all the plays that we see in that magnificent movie, reality had to have been a whole lot more impressive. But after they get brought out by God with his mighty hand, they forget God, their Savior, the one that brought them out of slavery, out of bondage. And they forgot God, their Savior, who had done all these mighty things. He brought them all the way to the promised land. And over time, the people forgot their God. And they went after the gods and the idols of their neighbors. How, how sad a thing that is. Don't ever get here and go, how could those people back then have done this? Because we can be just as guilty of forgetting God and focusing on different types of idols. can focus on Financial security, we can focus on relationship security. Things will be great if only that boy, that girl, will be mine. We can focus on security with other things, right? If I have a position of authority or power in a work, or if I have popularity, if just somebody knows me, those can become idols every bit as much as gold might have been an idol back in this time. They forgot. God, their Savior, don't forget the Savior. Don't forget the Savior. In John 4, Jesus has met with the woman at the well of Samaria. It's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Gospel of John. In Samaria, Jewish people and Samaritans really didn't talk to each other very much. And they're in Samaria and they need some food, so they get to a well. Jesus stays at the well and sends the disciples into the town to go get food. That must have been an adventure. Samaritans and Jewish people didn't interact very well. They didn't like talking to each other, much less touching anything that the other one had touched. But they go in to go get some food, and Jesus stays behind at the well. While he's there, a woman comes out in the middle of the day to draw water. And Jesus talks to her. It's one of the great, one of the great interactions, one of the great kind of sermons, even if you will, sets of teaching that Jesus does when he tells her that he is the Messiah. He speaks to a woman. Teachers and men didn't speak to women very often in public back then. He's a Jewish person talking to a Samaritan. And she's also been in a form of relationship insecurity. She's had five husbands. She's likely been abused by many of the men she's been with previously in her lifetime. She's not abused by Jesus because Jesus knows her. He knows everything about her. He says, I am he. I am the one that everybody's been waiting for. Well, the woman goes back into town and can't keep that news to herself, but it seems maybe as if she got a little bit of a big hit. I met him, yeah, and I'm telling all of you about him. It's not specifically said that way, but many of us might have fallen to the prey to that temptation. He spoke to me, you know, that kind of stuff, right? But regardless, the other people in the town hear about Jesus because they all go out and talk to Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples teach his people in this village in Samaria the good news. And so the people of the town tell the woman. Look at what they tell the woman. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed. Look at what they've already concluded. They already realized. They already know. This is indeed the Savior. When they heard Jesus, they knew 
concluded, they became convinced that he was the savior of the world. We might hear things from other people, right? Don't take my word for it. We are not going to find Jesus and sit down and talk in a well or a street corner, but we have his word, what he said in the Bible. We can go there and read and hear for ourselves and become convinced as they were that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Look at Acts 5. In Acts 5, this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is early in the lifetime of the followers of Jesus, the growing church. And some of the apostles have been called before the ruling council of the Jews, and they're really getting mad at them. Because as more and more people are following after Jesus, first of all, they think that's a mistake. They think Jesus, they do think Jesus is not somebody that people should follow. And they're not really going to be following after Jewish customs, maybe as closely as they should. They're trying to stamp it out, right? The rulers want to stamp out this growing group of followers of Jesus. And they said, quit, stop this. They're not going to, the apostles, the disciples are not going to stand for that. So speaking back, here's what they say to these rulers, these powerful people. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. I'm not cutting any corners here. God raised him from the dead. You put him on a tree and killed him. God exalted him, Jesus, at his right hand as Lord and Savior. As Lord and Savior. When we're confronted with someone that's not happy, we're talking about the good news or even mentioning Jesus, we need to be like them and just stand firm because the truth is truth. And that's what they tell them. So why did God raise Jesus? God exalted him. God raised him from the dead. You killed him. God exalted him. Why did he raise Jesus? Take a look. God exalted him at his right hand as Lord and Savior. Why? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Why did God raise Jesus from the dead? Why did God put Him there at His right hand as Lord and Savior? He tells us to give repentance and forgiveness. That is what makes Jesus the Savior. To get that forgiveness, you see how it's tied to repentance? Turning away from living for ourselves and turning back to God? Repentance, having our lives set with a priority of following after God and not following after things we might want or that are fun or the world might suggest is a big, big component of our response to God raising Jesus from the dead. We're going to be in Titus for the next two. Titus is a short little book, and I just love it because it's full of so much intense, intense statements about Jesus and God, the plan, God's plan for all of us. Look at Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Now, some people might read that and think, does that mean God's going to save everybody? Well, I actually hope and pray that he does. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, but I hope God's mercy and grace will know no limits on that day. That's not what he's told us, but that doesn't mean I can't hope and pray for it. Because God doesn't want anybody to be lost. We shouldn't either. But the 
grace of God has appeared to bring you salvation to all people, but it's not simply, I'm saved. When the grace came, the grace does something. Look at what the rest of what Titus says right here. Training us, teaching us. The grace of God is to develop a different me than when I first encountered the grace of God. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to leave my old way of living and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's repentance. The grace of God is to, supposed to lead me to repentance where I am a different person in the future. I'm a different person now than I was yesterday. As we live in this present age, different people because of our encounter with the grace of God, we are waiting for our blessed hope. What is that hope we're waiting for? What's our future longing? What's our future hope and goal? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Without Him, we wouldn't have Forgiveness of sins, repentance would mean nothing without the blood of Jesus having been shed. You can't have the blood of Jesus being shed without the birth of Jesus. So they certainly are tied together. Why is Jesus the Savior? Why is he the Savior? How did he bring that about? Look at how he continues. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people, his own possession, who were zealous, who were intense about good works. You see, the grace of God appeared teaching us that we needed to leave ungodliness and ungodly behavior and live sober and righteous lives in the present age, but without Jesus giving himself for us, all those days we were living for ourselves, we were living in an ungodly way, would not have been forgiven. That's what the grace of God brings us into contact with, is that blood of Jesus offered for me. It's one thing to think that Jesus might have offered himself for the entire world. I mean, 8 billion people, that might be worth a sacrifice. Somebody might die for 8 billion people, but stop for a moment. Assume you, as I will, assume that I, assume you were the only person who had ever made a mistake, who had ever sinned. If I could, I'd ask everybody to look right at me and me look right at them. Assume for a moment, nobody else in this building, nobody else in Nashville, nobody else in America, nobody else in the world, the other 8 billion people minus one, and all the people who would ever live, no one had ever sinned but you. You're the only one who ever did something God said don't do. Jesus would still have offered himself and died for you. Make it personal. Dying for the sins of the whole world is one thing. He didn't die so much for the sins of the whole world. He died for me. He died for you. Because every single one of us chose to do something we knew we shouldn't do. God loved the world so much that he gave his son Love the world. God loved Gene so much that he gave his son for Gene. Think about it that way. You're a very good son. Next chapter in Titus 3. For we ourselves, he's continuing the same idea. 
we ourselves, I myself, was once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. One of those kind of adjectives or descriptors here would describe life without God. Because we're living for ourselves, for pleasure, whatever it may be, getting the most that we can get. We once, did you notice, once were foolish. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. God saved us when the grace of God appeared, when Jesus offered Himself for me, for you. When the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, that's another way of saying grace, ties directly into chapter 2. When the goodness and loving kindness, when the mercy of God appeared, when the grace of God appeared, He saved us. Phrase, not because of works done by us in righteousness. He didn't save you, he didn't save me, he didn't offer to save you or me because we're feeding so many people. He didn't offer to save you or me because we've been kind to a million people this week. He didn't uh, save us because we hearted a whole lot of things on Facebook showing that we cared about people we rarely see. That's not why he saved us. He didn't save us because of works done by us in righteousness. According to his own mercy, he saved us. How? How did he save us? By sending his son to die for us, but also by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about as we understand who Jesus was, as we follow him, as we believe in what he did, as we turn away from the old way of living, right? We once were foolish and disobedient. But now we've turned to God in repentance, and he is talking about being immersed, being baptized, the washing of regeneration. It's not something I do. God saves us when we simply do what he asked us to do. And this renewal of the Holy Spirit is when we become members of his family. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit now, as Paul says, dwells within us. He starts generating that fruit as his people that it's supposed to. Matthew 14, two passages here from Matthew. In Matthew 14, Jesus comes to his disciples who are out in a boat in a storm, walking on the water. They see him, they're afraid, they're scared to death, they think it's a ghost. Peter, old Peter that he is, wants to come out and walk to him. Hey, if that's real you, let me come out. Well, what if it wasn't Jesus? He said, what a, what a phrase. If that's really you, well, suppose it's, it's Billy Bob's ghost. You know, they think it's a ghost anyway. You're going to get out and try to walk to Billy Bob's ghost? I mean, that doesn't make any sense, but he wants to come out there. He at least has the initiative. He wants to come out there. Look what happens. Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he did walk on the water. Jesus is not the only one who ever walked on the water. Peter did, too, when he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. Give him some credit. He had the initiative to want to go out to Jesus. He had strong enough faith that he walked on the water for a little bit. And then like all of us, waves going everywhere, wind and storm, <coughs> he falters. He begins to sing. He cries out, Lord, save me. Stop right there for a minute. That's the only cry you and I really should ever make. 
you have an opportunity, even if it's to yourself later today, look up to heaven and say, Lord, save me. I know I'm a sinner, but Lord, save me. What happens when Peter starts to sing? Jesus immediately, he was close enough, he immediately reaches out his hand and took hold of him, saying, oh, you have little faith, why did you die? He could easily have said, well, you started out great, but it falters. That's the common condition, really, I think, for most of us. We have our ups and downs in terms of our faith for God. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Another time, this is previously in the book of Matthew, they're in a boat. Jesus is asleep in the boat. A big storm comes up. These aren't the Queen Marys on this lake. This is a tiny little wooden boat. Everybody in here would have been scared to death if we are out in the middle of this big lake when a huge storm comes up. And so they are afraid. They wake him up, right? Jesus is asleep. And they went and woke him saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. That again is another thing we can easily say to God each and every day. Lord, save us. I am perishing. Don't forget, Jesus is the Savior. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the wind. Don't you wish you could do that sometimes? Just stop. He rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. When Jesus comes into our life, there is going to be a great calm. Matthew 1. 20 and 21, this is Joseph, back to the start, when Jesus is born, this is Joseph. Joseph really was considering putting Mary, his fiance, but more than that, his betrothed away, because she's pregnant. They haven't been together. He assumes she has made a mistake. She has been involved in something sinful. An angel has to come to Joseph and tell him, no, 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 no. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't hesitate to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It takes an angel to convince Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why is he named Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. He is, in fact, the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He gave himself to save Again, the very start of the two. Our passage for today. The angels met the shepherds, and their message to the shepherds is the same message they would offer to us. I bring you. I he brings us good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people, it's you and me, it's everybody in this town, it's everybody you're ever going to meet. Good news of great joy has been brought. What? What is the good news of great joy? On that day, in the city of David, was born a Savior, Christ the Lord. God sent his Son to seek and save the lost. We needed a Savior because we were lost. Do you need a Savior today? You're not a member of God's family, you need to become a member of His family. You need to give your life to Him and turn away from living for yourself instead of living for God. You need to repent, that's what that's called. You need to be immersed so that God will raise you up 
from that watery grave as a new person. If you're a member of his family, but doing a lot of what I want to do recently, and you want to recommit and more closely come back to God and follow and live the way you're supposed to, you can go to God in prayer today. You need a Savior. So, now's your time as we stand and sing.